Oh, Yahweh, thank you for the opportunity again. Thank you for speaking with me and bringing more word, Father. Appreciate the opportunity that you give to me to bless other people, to be in your word, to share your word, your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom, Father God. Abba Yahweh, Aman, Yeshua, Aman, Parkoetos, Aman. Okay, so here I am again, part two of a different day, same day, another day, later in the day. So things run through my head during the course of the day that I'm not going to allow the devil to be running amok in there, but keeping my head on what I'm supposed to be doing. And thinking about what he wants me to do and what he has us to do. And he started doing that because I read a little something we talked about this morning. Now, we're going to go back to John. And we're going to go into, pardon me, I got this thing the devil's trying to really agitate me about when I get to talking and sharing, and sharing God's truth in his word, it really, he really tries to get it to annoy me, but I'm not going to let that happen, he's going to try, but it's not going to work, I rebuke this, so anyway, here we go, in John 14, and um, the spirit brought this clarity to me, as I would like to bring clarity to you, and what I entitled the episode this morning was Clarity. And that we should have clarity. And I try to uh, clarify some things that I said that might have folks uh, a little puzzled and wondering why I would use certain terms that I do. And it's I'm going to clarify that so that it's it's readily apparent that when you hear me say it, it is the purpose and the truth that is behind it that is what is important. And when I share these terms, it's not to be bigoted or not to be uh, try to shame them. It's it's just the truth is what it is. And when you have individuals that are um, so wrapped up in themselves, they're so. Remember, I shared some words with you this morning. Uh, besotted. Uh, the word term besotted means to be drunk or infatuated and these individuals are so infatuated with what they perceive to be their how's how to describe it but well let's just do it this way we'll use an old vernacular term holier than now attitude and it's what the pharisees did with jesus and it's what individuals try to do to us now and when you say anything that they believe besmirches them in any way, shape, or form, or is negative to what they're claiming or doing, then they're going to call down the fire from heaven, and I'm going to call God down, and he's going to curse you because you are bad-mouthing my ministry. Well, that'll be the day. (laughs) That'll be the day, definitely, because guess what? It's not your ministry. If you're doing and you're sharing and you're behind the pulpit and you're in front of a congregation, it's God's ministry that he has anointed you to bring the word to. And if you're doing so for putting yourself in vain glory above everyone else and you're vaunting them, and then you threaten people to call down God's curse on them if they say something against you and you are doing 
that thing that you claim to collect money and become wealthy, well, it's very apparent that we know where your treasure is and your heart's there as well. Just like I shared with you that Saul almost misses anointing because he was cut up in all this stuff. Well, these individuals have the audacity to claim that they're going to call God down as if God is on their their little short chain, and when they tell him to jump, he's going to jump. This is why Jesus told us he hated religion. He detested religion. He had he just he despised religion. And why? Because religion has a tendency to put God in a little carved ornate box, and they open it up when they're ready to have God come out and dance a little jig and have him on the strings. And then when they're all done, they want to put them back and they're going to be the ones in charge again. And this is what they tried to do with Jesus whenever they called him in front of the Sanhedrin. Well, they got a surprise because that didn't work out very well. He challenged them with truth. He didn't, he didn't jump across the stage and jump up where their seats were and get all up in their face and everything. He, he didn't back down, but he just looked at him and declared truth. They had a problem with that. And, you know, they yelled at Jesus a lot. Jesus didn't yell at him. He just beat him. When they were stealing from the church and they were stealing from the congregation, the people that were coming in to worship and they were stealing from them and lying. And Jesus took a scourge and he beat him out of the courtyard. He said, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And brothers and sisters, the thing of it is that there's a lot of this darkness that's going on. But you have to hold on to the promise that God has made to us, Jesus has made to us, and that he's promised that he will not leave nor forsake us. And he has told us that. He has promised that that will not happen. He's going to be with us always. And you have some have an issue and they have a little problem with that. Um, where are we at here? I know there was one. Oh, here we go. This is um, 1428. But you have to hold on to what Jesus is telling us. The scriptures tell us that God will not leave us nor forsake us. And we can see that. We see that through a lot of places in the scripture. And I think this is what um, we see that very example of what's being said. And we can see an example of that in John 14. And when he tells the disciples were in uh, were in John 14. Hold on here a second. I'm having some issues with my with my server doggos are up there getting ready to fuss it at one another and raise their voices. But Jesus said, "Ye have heard how I." This is uh, John 14:28. "Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you." If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. 
And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Who's he talking about? Who's he talking about? He's talking about the enemy. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about the devil. He's talking about that naysayer and condemner. But that the word world may know that I love the father and the father gave me commandment even so i do arise let us go hence jesus is with the disciples and he's telling them that he's got to leave but also you remember too that in 14 and now we're going to jump over to john 15 and he talks about the vine I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without for without me ye can do nothing. So Jesus is saying that he's in us, with us, by us, for us. And brothers and sisters, he also talks about when he's talking about taking us into the heart of God. This goes back to the first portion of John 14. And he reminds us, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Then what's he say? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that whether I am there, ye may be also. I do not forsake you. Remember, I've explained this to you before, and I'll explain it again. Leaving and forsaking, they're not the same thing. They're not synonymous, they're different. When you leave somebody, if you're with your friend shopping, or you're in the mall or something, and you get separated. You can't find them. But you have an idea where they're at and you go to the little coffee shop and you're waiting there at the bistro and you're sitting at the table and lo and behold, he or she shows up again. Well, they didn't forsake you. They just left you for a minute. And you have to know that that occasionally takes place here because of this broken world we live in. But he will not forsake you. So you're at the mall with some buddies and they see a melee taking place down at the end of the passage and they want to go see so they go running off there and they're grabbing you by your shirt dragging you with them and they get right smack in the middle of a knockdown drag out bust them up breaking hands breaking teeth fist fight and then all of a sudden you look around because they got you right smack in the middle of it and then they're nowhere to be seen and you get you limping your way back to the car after everything gets done and who's sitting in the car? That jerk that took off and forsook you there with them. And of course, the first question out of your mouth would be, what are you doing? Why did, why'd you leave? Man, I didn't want to get all caught up in all that. I told you I was going. Well, you didn't tell me very hard because you took me down there and I got stuck right smack in the middle of it. And then you just left me there. That's forsaking. You're taking right smack in the middle of something and forsaking. But Jesus tells us right here in John 14. Pretty apparent and pretty evident. And in John.
John 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. As of course, he had to rebuke Philip and Thomas both. They're being silly, but I mean, they'd been with Jesus for a number of years already, and they were walking with him. And they saw what Jesus was about and, and what he was doing. And they know from what he spoke. They just didn't get it. Um, I'm going to put myself there a moment, if I may. Um, well, we do this sort of thing now. We don't quite understand what God's doing. And it's none of our business, really, because he is sovereign Lord God Almighty. It's really none of our concern as far as he's doing it the way he wants to do it. And he's sovereign Lord. And we don't understand. Stop trying to figure it out with your finite mind because it's going to confuse you. It's going to agitate you. It's going to give you a headache. And you're not going to be able to get it. Just know that he does not forsake us. That he's always with us. And just as the tapestry was torn from the top, all the way from the ceiling to the floor, we are no longer kept apart from God. Jesus came, and when he died for us, the tapestries were torn from top to bottom, separating the Holy of Holies from the congregation. There are still those that try to portray that, and they have you come to an individual that they have to keep you separate and they pronounce his little whatever it is and they and they give you an penance well the problem is that that's not biblical teaching the bible said that jesus died when jesus died and was crucified there is no longer a separation between the Holy of Holies where God dwelt and came. And just like Jesus told the woman at the well, what did he tell her? He said, there come, there is coming a time soon where you will no longer be having to go to a certain synagogue to be able to worship God, to pray to the Father. And he said, soon it's coming and you can worship and pray to God anywhere. You don't have to go to Jerusalem and go to the temple and pray there. And they wouldn't let him in there because you know the story I've shared with you a couple of times. They wouldn't let them go. The Samaritans were not welcome in Jerusalem. They were banned from the city because they were not good folks, except that the only problem is with that, that they were related. <laughs> they were all relatives, but they were mad at him. So they had issues with the Samaritans. The Samaritans had issue with the Jews. And they argued, they fussed, and they, all the time, pretty much all the time. And Jesus told the woman at the well, said, there comes a time and you won't have to do that. Because when you worship God and you pray to God, you worship him in truth and spirit. Because God is spirit and God is truth. And you come and you pray to him in truth, that's all that matters. So as it was torn from the ceiling to the floor, and we are no longer kept apart from God, 
Jesus Christ came and opened that door in that way. And we are told that we can come to God through him. He is the way, the truth, the life, and the light. The enemy doesn't want us to believe that, which is why he really tries to overshadow us with darkness. He lies to us all the time. He tries to get us all agitated by turning up that white noise and pouring it loudly into us so that we're distracted, upset, distraught. We don't know which way to go, but it's interference. It's not truth. It's getting us distracted from what we should be focused on. And what is it that we should be focused on? We should be focused on the Lord God Almighty, the way, the truth, the life, and the light. And take comfort in his presence. Take comfort in his presence. We need to really learn, we need to practice to be at home with Abba Yahweh, Yeshua, Son of God, Parakritos, Holy Spirit. what What I mean by that is that when you have that quiet time, downtime when you're not at work, and I'm going to have quite a bit more of it now, um, so I can have my time with God in the morning and and get on to the get into his work be about his business but we need to stop getting our heads wrapped around all this crap that we get our heads wrapped around oh we got to do this I got to be doing that I got to do this I got to go man I got to go get that done oh and you know the sad part of it is really sad and one of my uh, in my reading was actually was talking about this thing that I'm going to share with you right now. We need to learn, as I was saying, we need to learn to take comfort in his presence with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We need to learn to rest in the stillness. And God tells us in my reading this morning, It was rest in the stillness of my presence while I prepare you for this day. God has already walked this day. He's already walked your new day. Wouldn't go to bed if, Lord willing, that he gets me up tomorrow and he breathes into my lungs and I get to start a new day because he saw fit to allow it. He graced me with that and mercifully allows me to get up and continue. And see, that's the difference between grace and mercy. Mercy is that God allows it to continue and that I get to go through the day and I get to learn something. He's teaching me something. I'm progressing. He's tempering my faith. So whatever happens during the course of the day, it doesn't matter. God is tempering my faith. He's strengthening my faith. It's all about his day. We need to get off of our high horses and quit thinking it's our day. Oh, I got this plan. I got that plan. Well, guess what? You need to say, Father... Thank you for this day. Thank you for my breath and guide me through your day and I walk with you. 
Learn to give up on so much of this stuff. But the sad part of it is, is that even folks that do work for the church, they get so wrapped up in pre-planning and they get so wrapped up in all this stuff that they've got to do or that they think that they have to do or that they, and oh my goodness gracious, have the audacity sometimes. God, I don't have time to go do this today. I've got to get this done. And, you know, and they just start muttering off and start talking to God as if he's not aware of it already. He already knows that you blew it. He already knows that you committed to something else that you shouldn't have committed to. And he knows that. He's not gonna not gonna wag his finger at you. He's not gonna scold you for it. But the thing of it is that you have to learn to prepare in his presence. His presence while he prepares you for the day. We need to learn to let the radiance of his glory shine upon us as we wait. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. We shall run and not be weary. Walk and walk and walk and walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. When I was a kid, I used to think that there was something missing in that song. Because the song seemed to end so abruptly. So I added a verse. Teach me, Lord, to wait. And the song was very simple, just exactly the message out of the Bible. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as an eagle. They shall run and not be weary. Shall walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Teach me how to wait. To be in your presence, to wait on your radiant glory, Father. This is what we need to do, brothers and sisters. We need to learn how to do that. We need to learn how to wait on the Lord. We're told to do that. Isaiah tells us that. Psalms tells us that. There's several places in the Bible that talk to us about that. We need to learn to wait. And while we wait, we rest. Don't look around tapping your foot and clicking the back of your watch. Wait on the Lord. We seem to think that there's some reason why we can't take time and just wait. Somehow or another... What we've got planned or what we decided to do or what we've got to get done is so much more important. Let me share something with you. And this is true because I've seen it happen before. You know that God is capable of bending time, right? And you say, well, wait a minute. What does that mean? Well, been a couple instances where things were just not as they should have been, and I was, I took extra time. 
And I was sharing his word and doing something that was much more important than my job. I was doing his business. And I got in and realized that I had, my departure was 10 minutes late. And I began praying in earnest to the Father, asking for his forgiveness and that he would watch over and keep everything would be safe and and just not to get all antsy and get all worked up. And you know, I hadn't gone very far. I hadn't gone very far at all. And somehow, I don't know how it happened because I wasn't speeding. I didn't take any shortcuts. I was in route, was traveling my prescribed routing. And when I got to the next stop, where I had several people were waiting, they were kind of curious because they said, goodness gracious, this is awesome. This is, this is wow, this is really great. And I said, well, well, I'm glad. I'm glad to see you. And they go, this is the first time this route's ever been ahead of schedule. I said, what? God delivered me to them ahead of schedule. And... That was not my regular assigned route. I was doing it on a particular day, but they made an exclamation and they divulged to me that it's usually not there. It's usually always late. And I thought that I was going to be. Somewhere along the line, it didn't matter, but I did not speed. I didn't take a shortcut. I didn't do anything, but God delivered me where I was supposed to be. Everything was fine, and when I picked them up, I was actually ahead of schedule and wound up sitting for several moments before it was time for my departure. Yes, God can bend time. He can do anything. Remember, God is the Ancient of Days, the Maker of all things made, the Great I Am, first and last, author, finisher, He is all of those things. He is Abba Yahweh, Heavenly Father, maker of all things made. We need to just learn to practice at home with the Father, with our Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Just be at home. Sit down, relax. Don't get all in a hurry. See, people, the problem that is happening a lot is that People want to take the time, but then they start looking at their watch. They tap, tap, tap. Oh, got to go, got to go, got to. Man, I'm going to be late. I got this, I got this, I got to do. I got that, I got to do. I got to, 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 got to. Really? Don't forget. Tomorrow has not been promised. So all that stuff that you got to get done, that needs to get done, that's supposed to be done, and you've got to turn it all in tomorrow, might not be there. Just saying. You have to learn to listen. And you need to shut off that white noise and that interference that you hear things going on. So... I have a question for you. We already know that this is a pretty bumpy road, this 
plane of existence that we're in. Have you ever, have any of you ever gone down the road in a really nice four by four? I'm not talking about hot riding. I mean, you got it because there's certain areas that you're going to get into. You need to cross a river or something and, and you got to have that and getting to a special camp place or whatever. But you're just sort of cruising along, taking it easy. You're not trying to break any land speed records. You're just taking a nice, cozy, comfy ride. Well, we've been told that this road that we travel through life, this plane of existence we're on, is riddled with potholes, bumps and things, obstacles, and it's true. The word of God tells us that we are not promised a rose garden. Everything is not promised to be just it. When we walk through life, potholes and stumbling block. But the thing of it is, listen to this. This is really important that you hear this. The comforter, the comforter, I'm going to say it again, the comforter is with us. What is this guy talking about? I'm talking about the Paracletos, the Holy Spirit that Jesus left when he came and was crucified. For our sake. But what did he promise? He said, Yeah, you're not going to see me, but a little while, and I'm going to be gone pretty quick. But he said, Don't worry. Be of good cheer. He said, I will ask that another come in my stead, that the Father will send another. He will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, Paracletos. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will open your eyes and he will open your ears. He will teach you. Brothers and sisters, that is what we have. Those are the promises of Lord God. Those are the promises of Jesus. And we need to learn to trust him. We need to have confidence We need to be still and know that he is Hachim, Lord my God. Be still and know that he is Hachim, Lord my God. And that's who he is. God builds up these, our trust and our faith. He tempers our faith. Some of these things that take place. They temper our faith. Let's flip back here. My One of my mentors was teaching on Job this morning, really early. But Job, what a guy. But even through everything that he went through, you think you've got it rough? You think you've got it hard? 
I thought I had heart and I was in the midst of all this. See, this is what Satan wants to do. He wants to build up all these misgivings and all this darkness. Let me tell you, Job, a faithful, devout man of God, but Satan tried to diminish everything about it. Job lost all his kids. He was at a dinner party and one of his servants came running in. Oh, master, 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 master. Your children, they're all lost. What, wait, what, what are you talking about? He said, there was a big heavy wind, a storm. And your eldest sons, they were all having dinner and, and the house collapsed. They were all lost. And no sooner did he finish telling Job what had just the big whopping bad news. Then another messenger came in. And there was a warlike individuals and they came and they stole his camels, his livestock. They stole everything, chased off his cattle, stole his sheep, everything that, that Job had. They burned down his barn. And then... No sooner did that messenger get done, then another one came in and said, oh, master, 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 your, your crops are burned out. And they came and they raided and they took this and they took that. And, and all your men and women, all your all your servants, they, they're, they're all dead and they burned everything. And just, it kept getting worse. And Job was just, Job had nothing left. I mean, Job was a pretty wealthy guy. And then he went to absolutely nothing. And where was Job found? And then <laughs> here comes the worst of it, or not the worst of it, but just a bad portion of it, is that Satan was given, he couldn't take his life, but he messed him up pretty bad. He afflicted him with open sores, bleeding sores, ulcerotic sores from his heels up to the top of his head. And Job was pitiful. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Sorry about that. And Job lost his house, his house caught fire, collapsed, everything, everything was gone. Job lost everything. He rent his robe, he was in mourning, and he left the city, he went outside the city, and he sat on the dump, the ash heap. Only place he could go and had any comfort, and he put the ashes on his sores and didn't know what else to do. And yet, not a curse of God came across his lips. He did not blaspheme God. He did not blame God. What he did say, I came into this world naked and alone. I go out naked and alone, if that's what my God wills to be done. Job did not blaspheme God, and he did not sin against God, and he did not shake his fist. Like the, the 
Jews did when they left Egypt. Every opportunity they had, they belittled Moses. They complained about God, everything that God was doing and everything that God did. Oh, he just brought us out here in the desert to die. Moses, what are you doing? I'm doing what the great I am told me to do. But God, in his presence, we need to focus on him. He builds some bonds in our quietness. He builds bonds between us. Trust from us to him. And when we respond to him and let him know that we trust him and that we practice that, and that we make an active participation in that very thing that he asks us to do. And we, we can be affirmed that he is always with us. And we don't have any reason to be afraid. No reason. Everything about him is love. And sometimes when we get afraid, we overplay him. Even when you work in a church or you're working for a church or you're working for a pastor, you overplan. And that we get so used to doing it that way and we're start if we practice being alone and quiet with God, we say and we actually see that that manifests itself and we understand that we are doing all that and how it actually keeps us pardon me from spending time with God it keeps us from spending quiet time with God and even we claim that it's oh it's for the church it's for the church it's for the church but yet your time with God your time in the Bible your prayer time none of that is getting done you're not spending time with your family because you're giving all the time away. And then God will say in a still small voice, where are you? I love you. Where are you? And like Adam and Eve, they were hiding because they thought that they could actually do that. And what are you doing? You're hiding because you think you can do that. And you missed your prayer time. You missed your Bible time. And when God says, where'd you go? Um, I'm over here, Father. Well, you didn't come and pray with me. Sometimes we get caught up in this thing, and this is, I, I do this. I do this very thing, and I need to stop it. I need to put a screeching brake on it. I'm not assigned to anything. But I just go and I need to do whatever I can because there are many that are not answering to volunteer to get things done. And I try to get there to make sure things are set up and done first. But the most important thing, the primary thing that I need to be doing is spend time with God first. I, I spend time with God here at the house and get ready to go and I get there. But I don't 
spend quiet time with him at his house. I don't. I stop by and I don't even go into his prayer room. Got to do that. And he just wants intimate time with us. Just wants to have intimacy with us. So we need to repent for the tendency for us to overdo. And that path to get down there is a pretty pretty worn out. We I mean we walked it often enough that it's pretty well worn. And all we gotta do is repent. Remember the word repent. The word repentance means just to change direction, change one's mind, turn about. Just do an about face. That's all that word means. It's all the word repent means. Change one's mind, change direction. So you're going down that path, repent, change direction. And all we got to do is walk back toward him and the thing of it is that when God, when we do that, what do you look up and you see? God is standing there with his arms stretched wide and they're open up and he's got this big old fatherly grin on his face. And he always is just waiting in that moment that we take to do that thing. And he grabs you and he gives you a big old heavenly fatherly hug. And he doesn't condemn you. He doesn't rebuke you. He doesn't say, I told you. You need to stop doing it. None of that comes out of his mouth. The only time that you get that is when it comes from the enemy and the devil and his minions. That's the only time you'll get a rebuke. God doesn't like what you're doing, but he, we do enough of, of bashing on of ourselves and God didn't need to get into that. And there is none. I remember what it says in Romans 8, 1. Oh, let me get over there real quick. I just closed my Bible and pushed it over away. I'm going to jump over there really fast. Well, sort of fast, kind of fast, almost fast. And my Bible's kind of thick. Give me a break. Okay, here we go. Romans 8, Romans chapter 8. Oh, I went way too far. Sorry, backing up. Back, 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 back. Beep, 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 beep. Here we go. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So you're after the Spirit of the Lord. You're after the truth. You're after God's love. You want to be in God's love and you're going that way. It takes a little practice. Remember, God's not going to condemn you for that. He's not going to point his finger at you and wag it, you know, like you used to see Grandma do or earthly mom would point her finger at you and then you just see her wagging and she just got that look. She doesn't even have to say anything. She'll just look at you. God doesn't even go that far. He just looks at you, smiles, he opens his arms up and you come back and get a big old Father God hug. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. David wrote that in Psalm 46.10. Oh, lo and behold, look what I just found. Further in my reading, Romans 8, 1 through 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. 
So take time. Learn to take comfort. Be in that place that God would like us to be in. In his house. In his heart. Brothers and sisters, you're in my prayers. My going out, my coming in daily. Your strength, your courage, your boldness, and uprightness. I mean, we're going to need it. We're going to need it. Just look around. But look with spiritual eyes and hearing. That's nothing that needs to draw you into fear and trepidation, brothers and sisters. This has all been prophesied in the Bible. You don't have to listen to some of these naysayers and those proclaiming to be the prophet of God, bringing you this, that you look at this this democratic party and you look and you see these things that are going on. Well, nowhere does it say that, okay? So what you need to do is you just need to pay attention. You need to pray in the Spirit, be in the Spirit, take quiet time, and those that are lying, deceiving, speaking forwardly, and teaching contrary tenets as opposed to the tenets of the Lord God that are straight out of his word. Just be wary, brothers and sisters, and I pray that your boldness, courage, and uprightness is there for you. Be blessed.